You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Lamb Goat presents the Van Flip Podcast. What is up? Welcome to this week's episode of Lamb Goat's Van Flip Podcast. Today I am joined by Scott Lee, founder, curator, and overall dude that runs the New England Hardcore and Metal Festival. Uh, that's the uh, long-running festival in Massachusetts that had a brief uh, a brief hiatus, but is back with a vengeance. And Scott, we're glad to have you on the show. Welcome, man. Hey, thanks for having me. It's very exciting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah, congratulations on you know the re um, the revamping or the resurfacing of New England uh, Hardcore Metal Festival. Man, it was a long-running staple for a, a many, many, many years. Yeah, yeah, we took a pause, we took a little pause, you know. I stopped doing it in uh, in 2016, um, and uh, I moved to Portland, Oregon for a while, and uh, they kept doing it for a little bit, and then they just stopped doing it, and then now we, you know, we, we did this thing last year called Tattoo the Earth, and I did it with uh, the people at Mass Concerts, and I'm like, I had a really good time doing it, and I'm like, you know, they're like, hey, why don't you come back and do this, do, you know, this would be good. It'd be fun, and then I saw Jamie Josta doing it, doing you know Milwaukee, and me and him had a talk. He kind of kicked me in the ass a little bit. It was it was one of those types of things, and like yeah, so I'm like, all right, fuck it, we'll do it. Um, and uh, so yeah, that's where we're at. I'm like, we're doing it outside. There's two two main stages outside, and then we have a small stage inside in the small room, so that'll be pretty intimate in there. But and hot and sweaty and nasty and people jumping all over each other and that'll be great. And then the outside, you know, big big metal rock show. You know, it's gonna be awesome. Yeah. Um, and you guys, you you started it kind of like as a beef to the Milwaukee Metal Festival, right? Like in the Hi, early yeah. early days. <laughs> yeah. And it's just wild that Jamie took that over and he's the one, you know, busting your chops to start your <laughs> own, or just to revamp the other one. You know. Yeah. It was. Uh, you know. I. I um, I worked with Shadows Fall back in the day, and this person that I will not say his name <laughs> got the point on Milwaukee Metal Fest, and uh, basically we went there, and I was me and Matt Bashan, the guitar player of, uh, of Shadows Fall, were walking around handing out CDs and doing things and blah blah blah, hanging out, and it was just like it was such a bad vibe. It was annoying. People were rude. Blah blah blah. It wasn't a good time for people. I mean. You know, it was like one of the cool things about it was there was they were giving free cigarettes away. You got free camel cigarettes. That was about it. And um, and I smoked like two packs a day back then. So, you know, on the way home, we're driving home back from the fest, and Matt's like, "You can do this. You can do something like this." You know what I mean? And I'm like, "Cool, yeah, we'll do this." And so John Peters, who's the owner of Mass Concerts, was like, "Hey, we're taking over the the Worcester Palladium." You want to do a walkthrough, and I'm like, "Fuck yeah, let's go!" So we went there. I went up there, and uh, he's like, "Yo, this, check out this. You know, they have this little dance room here. It's basically the foyer going to the balcony." And we're, I'm like, "Yo, you you can make. We can make a second stage here. This, this is this is awesome. We can have this like little state. You know, this would be amazing." So we built it and made it like a second stage of development room. You know, 500 capacity room and. It was awesome, and now that's the that was the second stage always for Metal Fest, and it's also you know upstairs at the Palladium now where tons of bands play and stuff like that. So, yeah, and that's basically you know yeah it came back yeah it kind of was like a not a beef it was just like we can do this better and <laughs> and we we tried we we failed at some things miserably I and mean, we did some things and like made some things happen and you know just worked it worked it and worked it and figured out formulas and you know we had a good run there for a while did some cool dvds and had some fun and you know it's the only festival that had fucking earth crisis doing direct support to man of war it was amazing <laughs> yeah <laughs> yeah 
it's crazy when you like when I look back on that time frame, like the early two thousands, late nineties, and like the music festivals that the hardcore scene was kind of just producing by itself. It it kind of um, I don't really remember a lot of like other rock festivals doing that, other than like maybe your standard radio station may have like a bash at your local local town, but there wasn't really like a like there is now like you know destination type festivals for other kind of stuff and I feel like I always like cut my teeth on the hardcore festivals like Hellfest and all these other like local regional festivals I used to travel to yeah man I mean nowadays you can there's so many different things you know what I mean like the Danny Wimmer festivals and mm-hmm. you know the Blue Ridge Rock Festival which is great and you know there's a whole bunch of different things going on now back then there was like you know for what our world you know what I mean there was Hellfest us and Oh, and there were some festivals in California, mm-hmm. um, and you know, some would pop up in Texas or whatever. Other than that, you're going to Europe. You know, what I mean, you're going to see everything in Europe, and like that, like there's huge. Like we would go to like um, you know, like uh, the big uh, big meetings in oh, what was that called? Uh, I can't remember it. It was like uh, all the like the CMJ college music journal meetings in New York city. And people were like, talk about what different festivals, what is this? What is this? And there'd be, and people were like, you don't have any, we don't have any big European festivals. And like, and people are like, the closest thing we have is doing a metal hardcore festival and hell festival. And that's it. And, you know, then, you know, people saw that they can make more money out of it and do, and other festivals came about. And that's when we started like, looking at it and going, you know, like, we're going to price ourselves out of it. We, you know, we only have like a, a 2800 capacity, capacity room. So now like doing outside, we can do bigger things and do make it a bigger, bigger event, you know, right. and have more fun with it, you know? That's, that's a great idea to do, obviously, because, you know, it's a nod to the old times because you have the inside, but you also have the expanded, you know, new, new chapter. Um, what do you, wh- where do you think the idea for like, the scene to start doing festivals like because it just seems like they were so prevalent back in the days and then they like again they kind of faded away until the bigger festivals started to take over and then it was kind of like a resurgence of like the smaller festivals again like what do you mean like what do you who get who had the idea of doing these like you know like the bigger festivals like kind of not bigger thing? festivals but like you know where do, i guess where did the i mean your idea for your festival came from you know doing a better version of the milwaukee festival but i yeah. wonder like where the origins of the original like hardcore festivals and stuff like that came from i didn't know if you knew that because you obviously like, have history in the yeah. promoter world i think a lot of it has to come you know putting touring bands trying to tour together or come meet together in certain places mm. you know what i mean like i i mean i mean that's what i i think like I look back at like the like the California takeover where there's price of Snapcase and Strife, you know what I mean? That was a huge festival. People talked about that for a long time. You know, they even made a record and this and that, that was a, a great time for that cool victory era era, you know what I mean? Right. And like you know, so I'm trying to think like there was a, there was like um you know, like uh the Death Fest in Maryland. Mm-hmm. That's a great fest. You know, it's like I just think it's things that like people are like cool we're just going to try to get touring dances to come to one place you know what i mean or make it a, an event type of thing like the maryland death fest they do a great job there and like working with the city and everything like that and it's like i think a lot of it like the destination festivals like are the key things like every, the ones in vegas and everything like that i think those those are you know done really well and i think but i think there's like to go back to the history of it all I really don't know. I just think it was like, hey man, this band's this tour package is coming in this time. This one's this time. Why don't we put them together and try to make a festival out of it? You know what I mean? Yeah. I think that's one of the reasons that happened. You know, it's, like it just looking back, it seems very advantageous for like you know your festivals back in the day to be so you know borderline DIY and do multiple day festivals with so many bands and the logistics behind it have to be like insane, especially at that time. You know. It was fun. It was like it wasn't as hard as everybody thought it is because we had good people working the whole, you know, the Palladium, the staff, and everything like that. We knew like after the fifth, sixth year, we knew what we were getting into. You know what I mean? And it was just like preparing. It's it's there's formulas there. This is how many. This is what we're doing here. Like even down to the situation of like what time they're buying pizza for the staff. It's like this is how this work. You know, it's like 
it just became turnkey in a sense, where we knew, okay, this is how many bands we could put here. This is how many bands we could put here. What about this? What about this? How much can we pay here? How much is... And we put together the whole... It was, you know, it, it worked. It was like, like I said, it, it became turnkey. Then things would change because pricing would change or bands would change. And then, you know, then we added like VIP ticketing involved and just different things like that. I mean, I just think it was, you know... It was hard work, don't get me wrong. It was definitely a year-round type of thing that we put ideas together. What do you think of this? What do you think of that? And just I had people that worked with me consulting and doing different things with it. And I think... Uh, hey, what's up? It's Lurk. Looks like you're enjoying the podcast. If you are and you like what we're doing here on the Van Flip, why don't you go ahead and pause this, give us a rating and review on whatever platform you're listening to. If you want to find out any information on your favorite bands from the hardcore and metal scene, visit lambgoat.com. And to stay in the loop about everything that we post on lambgoat.com, make sure you like us on Facebook and you head over to Twitter and Instagram and follow us at lambgoat. Are you a full-grown adult and you also have a TikTok account? Congrats. Follow us on TikTok as well. You can find us under the username lambgoat.com. That's spelled out D-O-T-C-O-M. Head over to our YouTube channel where we have all of these podcasts in video format plus a lot more content that you should check out. Make sure you hit that subscribe button and you hit that notification bell so you're always alerted when we upload new content. And last but not least, if you want to follow me, Lurk, the host of the show, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at LurkCity. And as always, if you need any of the links that pertain to the artists on the show today, Lambgoat or myself, you can always find them in the description. Thanks for listening to this message. Now let's get back to the show. What? I, I never really looked at it like work. I looked at it like fun, to be honest with you, mm-hmm. because it was definitely it was a joy putting it together and bringing up and bringing new bands to for people to see and like you know like shit. We had you know one year we had Liam McGowan playing at one o'clock in the fucking afternoon. Yeah, yeah. Now the festival. You know what I mean? So it's like I don't know. Yeah, no, it's wild when you look back again. You you get very nostalgic looking back at these old flyers, but then you also see like these bands who are crushing it now and they have been crushing it for like over a decade, but they've opened up at like, you know, like you said, 1030 at Warp Tour, like one o'clock at your festival and stuff like that. So it's kind of crazy. Um, 1030 at Warp Tour sucks. Yeah. Like you, know, you shouldn't do that. Yeah. It's, it's kind of crazy. You're just busting a mosh pit out in the middle of the, you know, the first thing in the morning sometimes and like on a Wednesday somewhere. I think there was a meme I saw on like Twitter sometime. Um, what do you think made... What I wanted to ask first is how how many time, how many years did it take for you to get comfortable with like doing the project and and in itself like did it ever get comfortable or did it take a couple you know runs? I I think it was yeah I mean just building the formula to make it comfortable and making everybody understand that what it was you know what my what the vision was of it you know what I mean what this meant to the metal and hardcore community of New England, then to different people coming in from around the world. You know, uh, there's a gentleman named Noel who lives in Puerto Rico, and he's a great guy. He would bring probably 25 Puerto Ricans from Puerto Rico to the festival. Mm-hmm. And he's like, you got to come check this out. And he'd bring everybody, and it was awesome. And then we'd have people from, we have people coming from China, Japan, and just just fans, not bands, just fans that come in. Um, and this Australia, blah, blah, blah. And it, that was, it, it was important for, it wasn't a job. It was important to do this for the community and it like, and to, you know, make this grow, the community grow in, in that sense, in that sense. But it was also, you know, it looked good. It made the, it, it helped the business. It helped everything with it. It made the first, it made the Palladium look like the place everybody wanted to play. We did the DVDs. We did all this different things. People videotaping all this stuff made it look like it was fucking made the play look fucking huge. You know what I mean? And it was really good for the business of it all. You know, and people just get excited about it and got excited about going to the play It was like it became a destination festival in the sense as well. Yeah. My, so. Well, I mean, speaking of the DVD, the, there's a couple covers of the DVD that are, are basically burned in everyone's brain that are iconic. You know, so. That's for sure. I remember watching him as as a as a youngster, as a young late teenager, early twenties year old. You know, I would watch the Hellfest DVDs, the the Victory DVDs, and all the other DVDs endlessly uh, before they were like you know on YouTube and stuff. That's the only way you could see them on DVD. You have to put them in your Xbox or something like that. But yeah, um, what do you think led to the success of the New England Hardcore Festival for so many years? I just think it was you know the bands. Uh, 
you know, we, we, you know, started branching out doing, you know, marketing worldwide, you know, trying to do, trying to like, how do I put this, you know, internet, internet helped a lot, you know, mm-hmm. the DVDs helped a lot. Um, um, and just like the bands themselves, you know, telling people about this, you know, it, it was funny because like, I'd have like, we'd have flyers for it five months before the festival. And I would be like, I would be like, cool. Can you guys take these flyers on tour with you? <laughs> and like, bands that would come through, here's these posters, here's this, do this. Can you put these out on your merch table? And it would let people know that's, yeah. you know, like, we grind it. We yeah. grind it. I do recall seeing those uh, on on many a table, on many a merch table before. I do remember. Did my job. I did my job well. Yeah. <laughs> uh, speaking to the to the international side of of like festival attendance, like that was always something that was showcased in the, a lot of the DVDs, and that was something that was very kind of, you know, not I don't want to say weird, but like awesome to see but also surprising that so many people would travel for, you know, for this kind of like music. And at that time, you know, that music in some of these countries wasn't really super prevalent, you know, but you would find like, you know, Southeast Asia would pop off at a certain point and, and you know, you would have a lot of hardcore bands out there or, or a lot of, you know, other style bands in other places. But like, it was always a wide variety of people from like you're saying all over the world that would attend these festivals. And I just, what do you think like, drew the drew that crowd in i think the lineup um one thing i think coming to america and seeing a festival and seeing like go seeing their favorite type of bands and all in one place you know um and making it easy for them i mean if you're it, it, like here's the thing worcester is literally an hour and 15 minutes from logan airport and there's five hotels right around the area um, it's very simple, very easy. You don't have to worry. And a lot of people would come in from Boston and then go to the festival and then go travel to New York City and go to New York City and hang out and go see other shows there. You know, and like, yeah, it, it, it they made it their vacation. You know what I mean? Uh, you know, like I knew Australian people that would come over and be like, yeah, we're on holiday. We came, this is part of the festival. We, you know, this is the linchpin of our whole holiday is this festival. And like, all right, mate. Fuck yeah, let's go. You know, so I think I think the lineup. I think being in America, I think the destination, making how easy it is, and you know, being in the Northeast and so I think that's what did, did a lot of it. But I definitely think the lineups are fucking sick as hell. You know, so yeah. I gotta pat myself on the back and do it again. Sorry. <laughs> no, I mean they're iconic lineups, man. I mean, like if you if anyone wants to go back and look, you know, like you can look it up on Wikipedia or whatever. Just the lineup is. Each, each year is kind of insane. And um, like I said before, it's going to be a lot of heavy hitters that are still currently heavy hitters. Like, you know, oh, yeah. you have Lamb of God and Hatebreed and all these other kind of stuff. They've been playing the festivals for decades. Oh, yeah. I mean, it, it's funny because it's like, I'm, I'm like, it's the, I'm very excited to see, you know, if you see the Hatebreeds, the Terrors, you know, and the uh, um, obviously Shadows Fall, the Chelsea Grins, the, you know, the Black Dahlia murders and everything like that. I'm, the, I'm excited to see fucking Hunter Demons with, you know, yeah. the original. That's, you know, that's shit I'm trying to, like, uh, I'm excited about, you know. I'm, I'm also excited about, like, the frozen souls of the world, you know. It's like, I'm a true, like, person that loves metal, hardcore, and everything between. Yeah. And so it's like, this whole thing is just like, my wife said to me, she's like, it's really cool that you could put together it your own festival the fans that you really like and I'm like yeah that's sick he's playing sim festival you know you're just dropping you're picking and choosing who, who's playing what um, yeah, yeah I have mean, a good taste I hope <laughs> yeah as a curator of the metal and hardcore festival you better enjoy metal and hardcore and that's what I was going to ask like how much time do you spend like listening to or, or not listening to but like discovering and listening to uh, like new bands and new new stuff that's going on in the scene um, a lot because I have a, I also have a record label called Eleven Twenty Six Records, um, and I try to put young bands and like basically uh, I signed the first band I ever signed to the label was a band called I Am, mm-hmm. um, and then now they're on Monarch Heavy. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then like I just saw, and then like signed Vatican, they went to UNFD, and like and I have this band Hazing Over that I just put out their record. Yep. They're playing the festival, and. Uh, yeah, man. Like I listen to a lot of new stuff, younger stuff. Uh, Mouth for War, that's just 
put uh, they're coming out with a new record soon. Like, just I have to listen to new stuff, young stuff. It's very exciting to me. I love the younger bands and trying to. I love developing bands. I also own a management company too, mm-hmm. and we manage. You know, you know, there's four of us developing bands and putting this all together and making this. You know, trying to make small bands into big bands. You yeah, know what I mean. So, what came? What came first for you? Because like obviously you've done like quite a bit. You're, you're a record label. You've been band manager. You've been show promoter, festival curator. Like, how did you like stumble into this like you know life? Uh, okay, so did shows for my my friends bands back in the day, but I also like would go hang out with my my punk rock glam rock fr- friends and like help them move gear and like go to shows with them and go go to little punk rock hardcore shows or whatever. And then one day we're just like. Yeah, we're gonna go to the show. We're doing the show um, place called Katina's in Hadley, Massachusetts, and like discovering this stuff. I was like, oh, it's a real venue. It's real shows, and like they have Pantera played here once. Oh, this is crazy. You know what I mean? And like, blah blah blah, and just got involved with the people in the club life, and then started you know booking shows and helping with shows and pr- producing shows, and then putting out like cassette tapes and doing things and putting out comps, comps, compilation cassettes and just becoming part of the whole scene with things and there's people involved with it like that got me involved with a woman named Gina Migliosi who still works for mass concerts and stuff like that she got me involved and like then we moved to met this guy named John Peters who worked at this venue called Pearl Street John Peters started his own company called mass concerts worked for him but we used to do shows at Pearl Street that had it was in middle Northampton mass so you had all the colleges wrapped around it. So we do like punk rock, hardcore shows, world beat shows, like anything and everything that college kids wanted to fucking come see. <laughs> and it was, it was, it was very interesting. I, I never knew, like I learned about world beat music, like Lady Smith, Black Bombazo. Yeah. And like crazy shit, like whole, it was so eye opening. And then we do like metal shows. We do like carcass. We do different, like, you know, doing like in tune with Converge, and we created just made these really cool shows, and and then we did a a fest. There was this festival called the Loud Music Festival that these all these weird towny people would do every year, and it was like indie rock and this and like folk rock and really, and so me and my friend Mike Mannix, um, who's a really great guy, school teacher. And this other dude, Matt Pike, not the guy, for, not the guitar player on Higher Fire, but the agent, Matt Pike, um, we did this thing called the Really Loud Music Festival, just kind of kind of say fuck you. And we did like, and we did like Converge, Dead Guy, Coalesce, yeah. and like one night, that was one thing. And then like we did like Warzone, The Business, and like uh, Dreadnoughts, and a bunch of other like punk bands. And then the next day we did like, Hate breed aftershock with with Madball, and then like we do a ska festival at night and stuff like that, and it was awesome. And it was like Nantucket Nectars. I got them the sponsor, and they gave us a bunch of free fucking juice, and it was really cool. And yeah, and that's where that's basically the first festival that I ever had any involvement of doing. So doing that, and then putting out records for my friends' bands, and starting managing, working with bands and doing this and like yeah I can manage your band I can do this I can try this I don't know what the fuck I was doing and like then just started working with bands just started and John like grew and grew he started doing warp tours and just got involved with him more and just and just started booking shows and booking bigger shows bigger shows bigger shows and that's how I got involved with it and then you know just Worked with him for you know I, I worked I was basically working with him for like twenty three years yeah. as a promoter. Then uh, I started another company with my friend Cody DeLong called Soundreek, which is a VIP ticketing company. Which you know you go to a show and we service all the the meet and greets and all that crap and stuff like that, which is it's awesome. And then uh, yeah, then just start and then we. Kept booking and booking, then moved to Portland, Oregon, just concentrate on the sound rank and the management, and then came back here and just doing some consulting gigs with different people and different record labels, and started a merch company called Downright Merch with another friend of mine, Seamus Menningham, as we have that too, and yeah, man, just <laughs> bowls and bowls and bowls and just seeing whatever I can grab onto and pull yeah. in and partner up. and It's... Uh... 
sleep and you know no i think it's the snowball effect but i also like i'm picturing i can't remember the game that it was but like there was a game where like part of the i think the whole point of the game was you're a blob and you just kind of like roll and gather a bunch of crap and that's kind of what that's yeah you're a metaphor for you and your lifestyle right now but hey man you know what i mean you gotta stay you gotta stay busy so i do i do that's what the one of the things where i definitely like to stay busy and on top of that you know uh you have a great beard and and you've had how long have you had your beard for Uh, it's 2000 2007 have you ever like trimmed it trimmed it yeah it got trimmed today my friend my barber bad, bad friend paul oh that's not He's what like, i mean oh i mean, turn, you yeah, mean have you ever done like like heavy maintenance on it where you've trimmed like good chunks off of that not in a while probably not like five years six okay. years you know but i got a trim today by my my barber bad friend paul who plays in the band missing link nice i told him i give him a shout out on your podcast today yep yeah i'm also mm-hmm. wearing a, a a guy who's cut my beard, damage done. He's in a band, Gainesville, Jacksonville. He trimmed my beard as well. Um, do you ever yeah, find, how often do you want to, like, I, I just, this is like beard talk, so we're going to go off topic for a hot please, second. Please, please. How often do you find you just want to, like, shave it off? Never. Never? I can't. I can't. Here's the thing. If I do shave it off, I got all these chins underneath that look like a fucking turkey, man. Come on. No, I mean, I, I, mean, I can understand that logic, but, like, you know, do you ever get I just get weary of it sometimes I mean like I, I don't shave it off clearly but I have gone and I've gone times where I've shaved it off or like trimmed it drastically and then ultimately regretted it and just gone right back to you know this but uh, yeah it's not like you know I don't know yours is much longer and I've had a, I've had it quite long too and I think that was like at my worst if I keep it maintained like this which is a little long for me right now I think I can handle it but like any longer just be I feel like just too caveman-ish you know and I feel like all the all that's coming back I I just I just let it grow, and like I'll trim it. Like this is probably the longest it'll ever be. You know I don't know if you can see. Uh, it's decent. It's decent. But yeah, and like I don't know. I just I'm like used to it, and like I know what I can wear, and I can't wear the zip up things. And when, if I have to put a coat, I got you know, it, it's you know, and like. What is your opinion on like the guys that like you know? Uh, braid, braid their beard, or like you know, like uh, Don from Obituary has the, the, the weird like string thing that you know, Shavo has from System of a Down. They got like the whole little long oh, ponytail man, thing. Their own. It's not for me. It's like yeah. look at Tim from Tip for an Autopsy. He braids it, and like I make fun of him, but <laughs> he's my friend, so um, he's a great guy. Shout out to Tip for an Autopsy. But uh, I think. Uh, I, I my beard is just this is how it is. I feel like I, I don't have hair anymore on my head and just got this. You know what I mean? Yeah. No, I get it. I get it. All right, let's let's cut the beard talk because we're gonna lose everybody. Oh uh, yeah, nobody wants. To <laughs> so you're juggling like a million things. How do you like? How do you juggle your time? Like, do you do any I like good partners? Organizational really skill? Like, how how good are your organizational skills? Like, are you are you all over the place? Is it easy for you? Is it hard for you? Um, I, I have a really good memory, um, but I also have really good partners and really good people that work around me um, that I can rely on. And, you know, it's just like, it's just part of the game. You know, I get up at 6 o'clock in the morning um, and go to bed at 11 at night. You know, it's just like work all the way through. You know, my wife, I have a great wife. She understands everything and how this, how I work and how I do things. And there'll be times where I'm like, oh, shit, I got to do this. Oh, shit, I got to do this. I mean, on this podcast right now, I have gotten 15 phone calls and I probably have 37 text messages, but it is what it is. Like I'll get, everything gets done. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I don't ever, if I ever feel like I'm getting overzealous or need help with something, I ask for help. I don't ever sit there and go, hey, um, you know, I can do this. I got this. Um, I realize I have, I have boundaries. I know I have boundaries. And when I do things or if I, you know, it's like if I feel something's not going to work, I won't force it. I'll make it, I'll make it happen. Like doing the festival itself, like was a lot of preparing, was a lot of going, okay, how am I going to do this? How am I going to do that? How are we going to do this? And talking to the people at mass concerts and doing this and working with this and like, how much time can I dedicate to this? You know, how are we going to do this? And, you know, just putting everything in perspective, 
you know, uh, I have I write notes. I make things happen. I have things on my agenda. I cross them off, add more, blah blah blah. That's how it all works, you know. It's yeah. Like, you know, but main thing, having good partners and just trying not to getting as much sleep as you can. <laughs> Where, like outside of just like work experience and just like trial and error of just like you know going at it. Have you had any kind of like training or seeked any kind of like schooling or mentorship uh, outside of partners or people you work with along I, the way? I've had, I've had some great mentors, uh, John Peters, Gina Maglio, C. Chris Bisaw, people like that. Um, I've had some uh, great people that I can lean on in my life, uh, family, uh, um, my uncle who passed away, uh, my father obviously. but. Um, I graduated high school with a sixth grade education. Um, and I went to uh, my local school here to tr to see if I could, you know, get in college and do all that type of thing. <laughs> Excuse me. And, uh, and I, they're like, here, you gotta take the college prep course, blah, blah, blah. And they're like, did you, you graduated? And I'm like, yeah. And they're like, well, you graduated with a sixth grade education because that's where you're at. And I'm like, oh, that's fucking stupid. Mm. So basically, I, w I tried to do a semester of college and got in, got all, passed all my tests and everything like that. And then, I, like, I went for a week and I didn't like it, and I went on tour with my friends' band. And I didn't want, I didn't look back. I didn't. So basically, I have great people skills. I can put people together. I try to make deals and do things like, you know, I network very, very well. Um, I get along with a lot of people. And not too many people talk shit about me. I mean, there's definitely people that talk shit about me, but... Not that many. There's definitely going to be people talking shit about me after this. But, uh, yeah, I just... I don't know. I feel like I'm a good human. Just try to work hard. That's what it is. Comes down to me. But no, no... I mean, I went to Putnam Vocational Technical High School. Yeah. Okay. I don't know if, like, you... Do you spend time, like, listening to audiobooks, reading books, or anything like that, or... Anything, I guess, for like time management and just like entrepreneurial type shit because it's just a lot to, it just seems like an overbearing amount to juggle, you know what I mean? For sometimes, the normal person, yeah. Sometimes, like, I'll, I'll listen to different people, like, but like, I, you know, it's like, I, I mean, I don't know. I just watch a lot of like bigger people in the business and seeing what they're doing and how they're doing things and just like talking to them and seeing what, you know. It, it, it's, it, I don't know. I don't know how to explain it. Right. right. Working hard, like in the sense of like, like putting the heart, putting you know, trying to get sleep. I'm, I'm realizing, you know, I'm an older person, just trying to stay healthy, trying to go to the gym, trying to do that, trying to keep my mind fresh and clean, and trying to look at, you know, what's coming on the horizon for the music industry. You know what I mean? What's changing? What's what's hot? What's not? And you know. Not trying to keep, you know, my body's getting older, but I'm, I feel like my mind's getting younger, you right. know, and not trying to put myself in any boxes, if that makes sense. It's like you're sharpening the tool over the years, and it's becoming more and more sharp, and because you're more focused on actually, like, you know, you get more finite ideas and more, you know, you, you realize what you want to do, what you really want to waste your time on. Yeah. I, I like being humble about things and admitting when I'm, I fuck up and, like, oh, I messed up. This is... You know, like I've started so many different businesses and they failed. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It's you know never looking back and going, "Hey, this sucks. I fucked up. I, I'm just gonna go get a job at a factory and be a fucking idiot." No, I never did that. Yeah. So. What is one of the ones that failed that you that that hurt the most that you wish you could have, you know, succeeded? Well, they, they they all hurt. Um, <laughs> Clearly, yeah. But which one stings the most? Hurt. I mean, I had a record store once and it was cool and that kind of failed, but. That was cool. We utilized it as an office as well. Nice. But what time frame I, was that? Uh, two thousand, early two thousand. Mm -hmm. Nice. When was nine eleven? What year was nine eleven? I don't remember. Two thousand one, right? Yeah, was, yeah, yeah. two thousand one. Yeah. Cool. I was at the store. I was at the store when that happened. So yeah, we're at the first location. Yeah. So yeah, early two thousands, late nineties. Yeah. Well, what's I mean, I wouldn't I don't even want to put the idea in your head. I was gonna say what's stopping you from doing it now, but you know, I don't wanna I do, I have a I have a merch company that That's has, true, yeah, yeah, you, you make your own vibes now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I was thinking of like a brick and mortar uh, you know, like coffee shop type. It is brick and mortar, it's a uh, warehouse yeah. in Massachusetts. <laughs> 
forgive forgive all right uh when does it stop then scott when is there a retiring is there a retiring goals or a finish line or are you just gonna like do when it I until die, you're 112 straight up like that's it i don't like i i mean someone down some stuff but I, I I feel like I try to do so much good work and try to help people and do this. I don't know. I don't want to. I don't want to stop. You know. I mean, it's like no rhyme and reason to do. You know, stop. I don't want to have a goal. Like, I mean, like me and my wife have goals, but I don't want to stop working. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I, I don't think if people like like what am I going to do? Sit on my porch and talk about the good old days. You know, this, that, and the other thing. When aftershock used to play with heartbreak. No, I'm not going to do it now. Yeah. I would ask. I would ask if there's like an ideal lineup for you, but I feel like you've already done multiple ideal lineups for yourself because you've, you know. I've tried. I've tried to do like. Is there anyone you haven't gotten, at all? You've never been able to get. No. No. Even 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 bands that maybe haven't played in a long time or might be, you know, out of commission. Have you gotten everyone I mean, you asked for? You, are you talking for this year? No, no, no in general. Just in general, in the oh. entire time that you've you know booked the New England Hardcore Fest. Uh, I don't think so. I think we, if we didn't get them that year, we got them the following. Yeah, eventually. Year. Okay. So yeah. almost like a hundred percent, you know, hundred percent batting average. That's nice. I think so. Yeah. I really try. I really try to get blood and shed this year. I'm going to put that out there in the world so <laughs> maybe get them next year. Really try. Come on, Howard. Come on, Howard. That would be nice. Come on, Howard. Oh, Joe, let's go. Um. So I know we talked about it right before the podcast, and I feel like we've we've let enough time go by. But uh, today is July 11th, and last night uh, the hardcore world lost somebody who's pretty prominent in uh, in the scene and. Uh, uh, Mean Pete unfortunately passed away from colon cancer, and I know you, you kind of knew him, so you know. Yeah, yeah. Um, it was, it was. He was the first time I met Mean Pete was in front of the Worcester Palladium, and he tased me. <laughs> so let's go start with that. And uh, yeah, I mean, what listen, time frame is that? Uh, uh. Late nineties, early two thousand, when I was the record store. I, I was like, gonna say, yeah. was he was he in like Jinkos and still like somewhat new metal? No, he was more tight jeans. No, he was definitely like yeah, that type of era. You know, um, I think he, uh, I had some really great talks with him over the years, and like tried. You know, they played a handful of times at Metal Fest. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he uh, the last. Um, conversation we had um we were putting together like a, a a body snatcher christmas show and like the guys in body snatcher are like huge fans yeah. I, I work with body snatcher right, right, right. huge fans of remembering never and like we're trying to put this whole thing together and it didn't work out because of some reason or another mm-hmm. and like and like i'm like he's like can you know really want to try to do it? We'll try to make it work. I'm like, yeah, man, this is what we can give you. It's like, okay, for you, we'll do this. Blah blah blah. You know, and like, I called him about something else, and like, and yeah, we're and I was talking about something, and I forgot what it was. I don't remember what it was, but like, we're we're texting back and forth, and the last thing he's like, thank you for everything, and he's like, I, he's like, I love you, man. And I go, I love you, brother, and that was the last text message. Hmm. Yeah, but right. yeah, he 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 was he was a funny guy, you know what I mean? Yeah, he's a great dude for he sure. Was great, great guy. He, uh, John Blake put some old videos on Instagram today of him and them playing shows together. John Blake from um, um, Broken Wings. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> I was like, all right, this sucks. Cancer sucks. Yeah, Fucking no, it's terrible. bad. And like the, the, it was such a weird thing because like. I went through a similar situation with my mom, like, uh, you know, over a decade ago, she like had some, she had cancer and then for a little while it kind of went away and, um, you know, came back spread and it didn't take long after that. And, you know, it's kind of like this, I feel like the similar, similar situation with Pete. I mean, we ran into each other again at Furnace Fest after I think he moved to Atlanta. Uh, he, That's the time I saw him was Fest too, yeah. yeah, we ran into each other at Atlanta, I'm sorry, in Furnace Fest and, you know, I was like, hey, how's everything? And he had mentioned that it might be back or something like that. And I didn't really, he was pretty low key about it after that, you know, to me at least. So, uh, but, you know, we saw we saw each other a couple of times and he was always really supportive of, 
whatever we were doing over here and you know i met him through the podcast i mean i've known him for i mean i've known of him for decades because i you know grew up in florida and he was a big part of the hardcore scene here and and has always been but uh you know and then at some point we were trying to get some stuff together with him to get some of his like music knowledge and you know he wanted to do a podcast so we were gonna try to get all that stuff together when he was starting to feel better but um yeah unfortunately that didn't really work out and it was quite a shock yesterday to be honest with you definitely it was definitely I, uh, I saw <laughs> last night I was uh, going to bed and I was like you know doing the death scroll looking through see what's going on blah 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 and all of a sudden I see Rich Hall posted something I was like and it was a picture of him and Pete and I'm like no mm-hmm. and I'm like oh no yeah. and I was like oh man uh, it was such a bummer. Rich, Rich Hall is a great guy. If you don't, do you know Rich Hall at all? Yeah. I mean, I'm, I've I've run into him once or twice uh, at events. Yeah. Okay. He's a great artist. Mm-hmm. Great painter. Um, but yeah, rest in peace, my friend Pete. Yeah. All right. How do we get out? How do we get out of this hole now? Um, I can tell you a story about John Blake and then. <laughs> Yeah, some people I had a heart attack and was in the hospital. If you want, swap it up. Let's change. We got to get out of this drudgery, drudgery moment. So, Rich Hall, Rich Hall did a post Metal Fest party once at CBGB's back in the day, and um, so Metal Fest was Friday and Saturday. So Sunday, I did a post show in Springfield, and he did a post show in in New York City, CBGB's, and um, blah blah blah. And like I. I had a flip phone back then. It was that far back. Oh, Joe Hardcore is trying to call me. No, oh. <laughs> love Joe Hardcore. And um, he, uh, I left it in my car, and I was doing the show at Fat Cats, and Fat Cats had two sides. And on Sundays, we would only, the only time we could do all ages was on Sundays. So one side was the band side where the show was happening. The other side was the bar side that was closed. So I was over on the bar side, and the phone wouldn't stop ringing. And the show's happening, it was between sets or whatever. And I pick up the phone, I'm like, Fat Cats? And they're like, hello, is this Scott? I'm like, yeah, who the fuck is this? He's like, and it was like Ken Susie. I think it was mm. Ken Susie from on Earth. He's like, you okay? I'm like, yeah, man, I heard you had a heart attack. In your hospital. I'm like, what the fuck are you talking about? I'm sitting here smoking a cigarette and drinking a Sprite. What are you talking about? And yeah, man, I guess... I, the, the guys in On Broken Wings, I, I blame John Blake for this said, uh, you know, put a thing on the Bridge Nine board or something like that, that I had a heart attack yeah. and everybody was looking for me. And I left my phone in my car, so I had to go out in my car. I was like, yeah, I, it was it was a fucking nightmare. It was my, the people called my house. My parents were like, what the fuck's going on? Blah, blah, blah. Yeah, early, that's like an early day thing. Um, yes. mm, message boards, such a thing of the past, huh? <laughs> you think? <laughs> Do we, I don't even want to touch the subject. Let's just move on. Um, so I, I, since you are a festival curator and uh, have experience in the show promotion world and booking world, I've I've wondered in the last like couple years, how do you think festivals have affected like smaller scenes like ours, like hardcore and metal, like maybe not all sorts of all genres of metal, but like maybe like the smaller ones. Do you think that affects it in a negative way, just because like? No, I don't. I think it it, it actually. It actually helps, I think, a lot more because it, how do I put this? Like, there's a, I think there's a lot less people putting on smaller shows. Mm-hmm. Not because the festival's hurting it, just because the lack of doing it. You know what I mean? There's like the energy, the, what you have to put out to do a show and make it all happen. It's a lot easier nowadays than it was back in the day. You know what I mean? But... I think I, I think people just need to do a more DIY type of aspect and put on shows and do things and like help your scene, help you know your area of the country do better shows and you know like put on you know DIY shows in whatever it is basements, record stores, or you know small venues, rented VFW hall, do it. Just I I just think there's a lack of people trying to do it. Mm-hmm. I don't think festivals are hurting it. I think festivals are kind of help could be helping it in the sense as well. Yeah, because it's giving bands like places to tour to where they wouldn't. I don't know. Like more bands are playing festivals 
like and then touring. Yeah. You know what I mean? I think that's one thing too. But I don't think the band needs to like a band doesn't need to be a full time touring band if you're if you're developing yourself into this and you can get on these festivals, obviously. That's the first thing. But like the old like like the older bands don't need to go out and tour like No, yeah, know, of course not. You know, but like I think there's I think I think more people need to get my, my opinion is more people need to get, get off their ass and try to put on shows and do things. Yeah. That needs to happen. And I think know? it would behoove them to not be in a band because that way they can focus on uh you know, booking the shows and not just booking shows and then leaving town for possibly months when you're touring and stuff like that. Because I know a lot of people that are involved in the scene end up booking in the scene, but they also play in multiple bands at times. So their time is spent elsewhere. So we need people that are dedicated to it uh, locally that have no aspirations of being in a band, I guess. Exactly. I think it's one of these things where it's like, you know, you can go to, uh, you can find a place to put on a show. You fucking can. You there's places that like you can go to a VFW hall and be like, hey, I'm gonna rent your hall out. Um, this is what we're gonna do. Oh, we need a cop, and that's two hundred dollars. Okay, so the rent's gonna be three hundred dollars. Okay, you can do this. You can really figure out a way to do this. Um, it's not hard. It really isn't. Just put in time. It's the effort in trying to make it happen. You know what I mean? And then okay, that venue doesn't want us to have shows there anymore. Let's find another venue. I did, I did that seven eight times. Yeah. You know what I mean? Especially in the so, hardcore world, you're gonna run it. You're gonna run into that in the hardcore world for sure. Oh yeah, I mean, you know, you know, just I did shows at churches. We did shows at gymnasiums. We did it, whatever you need to do, just do it. Do more shows. More shows need to happen. You know what I mean? Yeah. You know, how many? I'm not gonna. <laughs> how many shows? Do you, if you can remember this, how many shows did you lose money on before you made? you made a dollar in the early days like way early days i don't know i mean i always made money oh okay That's a smart man <laughs> um i always paid the bills and tried to and you know as best as i could you know i mean try uh i mean definitely lost money uh, on definitely a lot of shows but you know i don't think there's i think you, you when you're doing this you you know i used to do a show a week you know on my own, never mind with mass concerts or anything like that, mm -hmm. you know, dude. And like, yeah, you win some, you lose some, but you're always like putting money aside for the loss to be comparable, you know? Yeah. And like, it's part of the game. It's yeah. part of the fucking game, you know? It's like, it's what it is. I, I mean, dude, I mean, I've asked for reduction for a couple of times on things, been like, you know, um, and then paid things back or be like, hey, I'm going to get you, I know you're playing in Connecticut in three weeks, I'll pay you then. You know what I mean? Or whatever. And fine, no problem. But yeah, it's things like that happen. It's a, it's all in the it's all in the game, is what they say. You know what I mean? <laughs> if yeah, for the budding DOI promoter booker, what is the one piece of advice you would get them before they start that you wish you had known? Um, be humble. Be be, I don't know, just like, I don't really don't know. I, I think you've got to learn on your own, but just try to fucking just be a good human. You know what I mean? Try to understand that the business is happening. You have a business. It's part of it. You have overhead. You have to pay that. You have, if there's ways of doing it, okay, cool. You know what I mean? Try to be creative. You know, remember, you know, if you're doing an all ages show, remember the parents are coming as well. And they're also assholes. You know, it's like, you know, our local all ages shows type of thing. You know, mm -hmm. it's like we would do shows that like you'd have like a local band opening up for, you know, a couple national bands and the local bands would sell tickets or whatever. And the mom and dads would come and they'd be like, we're not paying. We paid for all the equipment. We paid for everything. Why should we have to pay? Like shit, like you got to deal with dumb people. Right. You know what I mean? But, you know, you got to have thick skin, basically. That's what I would tell myself if I was starting to have thick skin and be humble. Interesting. All right. I want to ask you um, about something that I found on our own website from many a, a millennia ago, it seems. So in March of 2012, you did an interview with Alex <clears throat> for your 14th New England Hardcore Metal Festival. Okay, this was 2012. Um, 
probably should have checked if they've played since, but forgive me, I did not. So one of the last questions he asked you, why hasn't Converge played since 2003? And your reply was, we had an issue with them on the first year with security. Their situation is something maybe we can talk about in year 15. Jake Bannon and the rest of the guys and I are friends. We would love to have them back sometimes. I'm a big Converge fan. I'm always will be, blah, blah, blah. So I, yeah. as reading that back, I, I now say, I now see you said in year 15, whereas I originally said in 15 years, you'd talk about it. So that's what I was going to ask you, but I can still ask you about it. Yeah. Uh, you want to know what happened or what the situation was? Yeah. Or something? Yeah. Oh, uh, if you can. Oh yeah. I, I, I'm just trying to remember the whole scenario. One of their friends, I won't say his name, got beat up by the security and it was like one it was the first year that we did it and the security was very very not cool about it's one of the formulas that we had to get over mm -hmm. you know what i mean mm -hmm. um and they didn't want to do it anymore after that and it was just it was junky and then bane was supposed to play and then they they didn't play either because it was their friend as well i mean yeah i mean i it was it was a shitty situation but I'm a big fan of Converge. Still, I tried to get them for this year's festival. To be honest with you, so they have they have yet to play. I'm I'm scanning the lineups. And I have I don't, I don't see them. They, I, think they, I, I think they played another year. I don't remember which one, but I tried. It's weird because they, you know, that's kind of like their, you know, their neighborhood. That's their neighborhood. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we'll get them. We'll figure it out someday. Yeah, they're not. At least they're on the list of people that you've wanted and have gotten, and not you know been denied. So you've definitely you know succeeded in that. But um, all right, Scott, you are a very busy man, and I've known uh, Joe Hardcore is trying to call you. You got other people Joe trying Hardcore to call you. Call me. Yeah. Matt Honeycutt from Kubicon tried to call me. <sighs> very interesting people. Well, we can cut it short so I can let you go and handle all those phone calls and juggle all the things that you juggle. But I appreciate it. Uh, taking the time out of your very busy day to talk with us today, man, and I look forward to the uh, this year's New England Hardcore Metal Festival, man. Congratulations! Are you coming? You're coming? Yeah, 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 yeah. We'll come. All right, I'm very excited about it. Thank you for being supportive over the years for the festival. Sure. In your in your ways of lamb goat. <laughs> yeah, we're gonna keep lamb goating, as they say, and we're gonna keep it going. Yeah. <laughs> Very cool. All right, man. Thank you so much. Appreciate nope. you. Thank you. Take it easy. Hey, you. Do you have any plans this year? Ha! <laughs> How's that going? Do you get 2020? Well, welcome to a brand new podcast called 2020, where myself, Benny Goodman, and my good friends, Corey Pazin and Siobhan Cronin from the band Lost Symphony, also got 2020. And since the world ended this year, we decided why not just check in with some of our friends in the music industry and see how everyone's doing. We're going to get a candid look at life on and off the stage, as well as the mindset of some of the most successful people in the entertainment industry. New episodes drop every Sunday and Wednesday at 9 p.m. Eastern. And you can listen at 2020-d.com, soundtalentmedia.com, or on your favorite podcast app.